Hey Rebels, welcome to another edition of Rebel Parenting. I'm your host, Ryan Dobson, with my wife, Laura. We've got a great program for you today. You know, oftentimes on the live video, are you watching the live videos? If not, catch me every Monday and Friday, 8 Pacific, 11 Eastern, facebook.com slash Dobson for Rebel Live. Oftentimes, we talk about how the loudest voice in a woman's head is often the one saying she's not doing a good enough job. And that is one of the things that Rebel Parenting we're trying to combat. We don't believe that. I think our society uh, teaches that. I think our culture preaches that. But we don't believe that here. And our guest today is going to talk about that. Her book is called Nothing to Prove, and it's Jenny Allen. She is so great. She was so vulnerable. And this will give you a breath of fresh air. It just takes a load off your back. Let you let that stress breath out. That You're going to love this program. You really are. I don't want to waste any more of your time. Let's jump into the program with Jenny Allen and nothing to prove on today's edition of Rebel Parenting. Jenny, thanks so much for being on the broadcast. We appreciate it, taking time out of your schedule. Before we start it, can you talk to us a little bit about the IF Gathering? We're big fans of it, but for our listeners that aren't aware of it or don't understand what it's about, can you give us a little background of it? Yeah, sure. So several years ago, um, there's a group of us that gathered and said, hey, what would it look like if we came together and as a generation, um, huge dream uh, to worship God and to to agree on the things we agree on and and see what happens and and really the the heart of it was always just discipleship that we would disciple um, women who are discipling women and and so the first gathering we we live streamed it from Austin Texas we sold out real quickly and sent it out what well, was so beautiful because around the world women stood up and said, Hey, I want to lead this in my home, in my church, in my neighborhood. And so it's just incredible. We had over, you know, several thousand, um, gatherings happening at the same time, as well as all the people joining remotely from their computer by themselves. And so it just has been wild, like how far it's reached. I mean, 120 something countries, um, the, the beauty of just technology has brought really a generation together. And, and we really want to see, God move in our in our lives personally and to really make disciples. We aren't so much about bringing people into big stadiums or trying to get bigger and bigger. Our real goal is to build tools to put in the hands of people locally so that they can make disciples where they are. And so the conference is one of those things. We also have a lot of studies and other things through Equip that we put in people's hands. And it's just incredible. I mean, women are a powerful force. You, you put some tools and a vision in their lives and they will rock it and they really have. So it's beautiful. Oh, that's fantastic. Let me ask you a question because you said we agree on the things that we agree on. Um, and then what? Ignore the things we don't agree on? Well, you know, where it's possible, certainly there's some things that are outside of orthodoxy. So we we really are orthodox. Our our holding view of of everything is the Nicene Creed and the scriptures and that's where we agree. But within that, you know, we have friends that are charismatic. We even have several Catholic leaders that are leaving, leading in their faces. And yeah. so within orthodoxy, they are taking these tools. We're just trying not to be divisive where we don't have to be. Certainly there are yes. times to teach the scriptures and to be clear on, on things and issues. But, but really, we believe the local church is the best context for a lot of that work. We're just trying to put tools in people's hands to, to reach their neighbors, to bring, to bring people together across denominations. 
I love it. And I love that you're not being divisive or you don't have to be divisive. I think so often in uh, events and groups, it's all about, oh, we're keeping people out instead of saying, hey, we believe this set of things. Outside of that, we're all right, but let's get together to support each other. It's so phenomenal. We love it. Yeah, and we've got to build spaces where people can come to, even if they don't agree with that, you know, and, and that they feel safe and and they want to process there. And so certainly, you know, everyone invited and coming to the table is it, it lands in all different kinds of places. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then let's jump into the book because Nothing to Prove has a story from the IF conference, and it's so powerful uh, because it explains what the title is all about. Can you give that story? Because it's just a great launching point to kind of jump into this topic. So I guess the one that comes to mind for me where it really started to shift everything was um, our second gathering. I had been through the first year of leading this organization. I was just weary, like walked into that gathering to speak and to lead um, as beat up as probably I've ever been in my life, just from personal situations, um, also physical ailments. I think I was taking about six different types of medicines at the time for different issues that I had physically. Like it was just, it was a rough year. Certainly it was under a lot of attack um, in every every place in my life. And so I, I speak, I kick the thing off, I come off the stage and one of my mentors is back back there and and I'm looking for encouragement from her and I'm kind of going, I just, I don't feel cut out for this. I don't think I can keep doing this. And she looked at me and I was expecting her to say, hey, you know, you're awesome. You've got this. Like you have the perfect gifts, the perfect everything to, to lead this thing. And instead she said, and that's why God picked you, that you don't, you know, you, you know that you, you aren't able to do this. And it was such a backwards feeling. Like initially it like slapped me across the face kind of like that she didn't say you're awesome, you're worthy, you can, you're worth, you know, leading this thing. And so it shifted the way that I approached anything I did. It really started to untangle the pressure that I had on myself to be awesome, to do awesome things. And what I realized is no, God actually shames the, shames the wise by using the things of the foolish. And he actually moves through weakness, not strength so that his power is glorified. It's such it's obviously the gospel, but it's it's not practiced in Western culture, and it's difficult to believe because of that. And so I've learned just how powerful it is to surrender my life and to allow God to use me, even in my imperfection and even in my limitations. Mm-hmm. So you talk in the book, and you begin it with wrestling about being enough. And, you know, we find this. We all feel like we're not enough, especially, I think, in the world. It's the only job where you don't know if you've done a good job until it's far too late. And so I think it leaves us <laughs> constantly feeling inadequate or like we're not doing enough. Um, do you find this just rampant in, in all communities? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think this is rampant in all of our souls. You know, this is this is human. I mean, this is why Adam and Eve ate the apple. They d- didn't feel like they knew enough. You know, they wanted to have every experience. They wanted to know what God knew. And, and so I think there's this constant striving in all of us to accomplish more, to, to be more, to be better. And, and it's funny, like the movement, the self-help movement has really pushed this idea that you are enough. And as believers, that's actually not the gospel. It's certainly not the complete gospel. We're not enough in ourselves, but we are enough because of Christ. And so I think we've, we've accidentally bought the self-esteem movement because it feels better faster but it doesn't feel better for long. And so, for instance, if I tell myself, no, I'm a great parent, I'm a loving parent, I'm an awesome parent, 
But, you know, this morning while everybody's getting ready for school and they're headed out the door, you know, and, and somebody can't find their shoes and I lose my temper, then all of a sudden I've broken what's that lie that I've told myself, that I'm awesome, that I'm a perfect parent, that I'm a great parent. Yeah. And, and so, you know, immediately, as soon as I break it, which, of course, as believers, we know we break it quickly and often all the time, yeah. sin and often, then, then what are we left with? We're left with something that's either we're faking it, we're not actually as awesome as we want to believe we are, or we own it and we're in shame and we're in bondage to this idea of the worst version of ourselves, rather than the gospel, which says, you know, Christ died for us so that his righteousness actually becomes our righteousness, that we actually inherit and receive all of Christ's capacity and ability it says that we're actually co-heirs with Christ so that everything that's his is promised to us. And it's such a backwards mentality. I can't stress that enough because, I, I, I you know, it would be just a pamphlet if, if it were easy <laughs> yeah. to believe. The, the book is pretty long because it's this wrestling for years uh, to believe this. And, I, of course, I still wrestle with this as uh, my, ch- my children hit road bumps and, and as my ministry or life hit road bumps, I see once again that I I am in need of God. And I think that's the thing we can't be afraid of. When we try to be awesome, then we're not living in the supernatural. We're not depending on his power and his strength that he wants for us. And then when we're stuck in our shame, then we're not actually even doing the things that he's called us to. And we're, we're really in bondage and, and unable to love people, unable to live out the great commission that he's called us to. Hmm. Yeah, I was like about eight years ago, I was struggling with not feeling good enough as a mom. I was a new mom and had a lot going on. And I remember one of my mentors saying, well, what's the, what's the benefit of you believing that? Like, what's the fruit of me thinking, oh, I'm not good enough? And it just struck me because I realized, well, there's some benefits into believing those lies, right? Like, I don't have to show up. I don't have to try hard or oh, whatever. I can just believe the lie that I'm not good enough. Um, but how, did, how do you, when you're working with people, how do you unpack that, the balance between, you know, I'm not enough, I have Christ, and I am enough because he's called me to do this and he's going to equip me? How do you untangle that? I guess the striving or the performance Christianity, I guess I would coin it. How do you work Well, with that? I would just say that the first step is to really, truly believe that we don't measure up. And that is actually the hardest mm-hmm. part. And I think because it's the most uncomfortable, yeah. it goes against the self-esteem movement. Um, it goes against like what our parents told us about ourselves for some people um, and, or what they've been telling themselves for a long time. It's mm-hmm. so awkward and hard to say it. Like, I am not enough. That doesn't fly you know through Pinterest and Instagram <laughs> yeah um, well it it's, it's not a great message um, but I think if we don't truly own that then we're gonna live self-protected we're gonna continue Strive. to be defensive yeah. about our mistakes we're never gonna own our real true deep need for Christ it doesn't feel good to do that but it actually is so freeing because you know when someone attacks you when somebody gets angry with you typically your reaction is to defend yourself to you know, to show them, no, you're wrong about me. I'm this awesome. But it's a completely different thing to go. You're right. You're right. Even if there's misunderstanding about it, even yeah, if they didn't yeah. get it right completely, like even if some of it is, is just anger, but, but they're right. I am a disappointment. I am, I am letting you down. There's, but then it's so funny because you, it goes against your flesh, but the second you say it, there's this peace that floods you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it actually freedom. diffuses the whole thing. I think of when Jesus says, turn the other cheek, or if somebody steals your shirt, you know, give them your pants too. And it's such a, you know, back, I keep saying backwards, but it really is such a backwards way to think and live. But 
but it's actually so refreshing and freeing when you yeah. do it. And mm-hmm. and I think we're afraid to trust in the supernatural. We're afraid to trust God at what he says because it goes against the world. It goes against our nature. And so when we do it, it's it's shocking that it actually works and we actually feel more peace and mm-hmm. we feel at ease with who we are because we're not trying to live a lie. We're not trying to be more awesome than we are. We're actually admitting, you know what? Yes, it is true. But my identity is not in that failure. So yeah. I can own my mistakes because my mistakes are not my identity. My identity is who I am in Christ, his great love for me, the future that I have with him, the relationship I had with him this morning when I met with him, yeah. the relationship I have ongoing as I'm getting attacked and I'm praying, I'm going, Lord, help me receive this. Help me to be humble. Help me to, to turn the other cheek. That is what I get. And and there's such a security. It's actually, you know, I just think about all the imagery he uses about himself. He says, you can build your house on the sand or you can build yeah. it on a rock. And the rock is actually fellowship, abiding, being with him. Yeah. And then he talks about branches and vines. And he says, Bran- branches wither. These, the If you build and attach your identity or security to anything apart from Christ, it, it always withers away. You'll never be awesome enough. And you see that in the most successful people in the world. You look at Hollywood, you look at the, the most wealthy, you look at the people that finally have achieved what would be in our minds a perfect identity. Yeah. Their kids turn out perfect. Every you know Everything just works perfectly, which that never really happens. Mm-hmm. But let's say that it did. They're, they're still not happy. <laughs> you know, it's not yeah. in that either. So even if we achieve perfection, which we can't, it, it's still a disappointment because we were never meant to attach our identity and worth or value to something other than God himself. He is the only rock. He is the only vine that actually provides sustenance. He's only well. Jesus keeps describing himself. I'm the bread of life. I'm the water that never runs out. He keeps saying, hey, come to me and you'll have everything you're craving, everything you're longing for. Um, but go anywhere else and you're going to be thirsty again. You're going to be hungry again. You're going to you know, dry up and wither. You're going to, your house is going to fall. Um, everything is this picture of with me, you have everything. Without me, you have nothing. Well, when you say it that way, it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's true. It's funny. I We get a lot of type A people on the program because lots of people that write books end up being type A. They have to be self-motivated and a self-starter and driven enough to get a book done. And I notice, I, I've been thinking about the fruits of the spirit a lot lately and probably because I've felt uh, I've been snappy I've been angry more and when I look at the fruits of the spirit I'm like wow I don't feel peace and my type a personality says well you need to do something more in order to get peace and it's like all right well I'm going to meditate every day I'm going to start this meditation program and and yeah it's funny because it was working, but you're right. It was short-lived because it required me to do something. All, instead of just saying, you know what? Without the Lord, I really am kind of an angry person. Without the Holy Spirit in me, I tend to snap and bite people's heads off at times. And I need help with that and start focusing on my relationship with the Lord instead of trying to make myself good enough and better to not to be more like the Holy Spirit instead of just getting the fruits of the Spirit from the Holy Spirit. So interesting. Yeah, you get an example. I think about First John. This has been so powerful. I've actually been talking to my kids a lot about this because our tendency is to like that was even Ryan, that was even like really vulnerable, like for you to say those words like, hey, I do get angry and I need the Lord. Like there's something really it's not powerful to say that. Right. Like you don't feel powerful when you even say those words. But yet to us listening, we all like to kind of exhale like, oh, that was that was actually really refreshing that he just said that. I think that's it goes it goes counter to what we're learning 
in the world where we have to be all that. But I think about First John when you did that, because First John 1, 5 talks about light and darkness. God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So he's saying, he's saying to do exactly what you just did, which is admit you're like walking in the light. What does it mean? It doesn't mean not sinning because he's very clear that in fact, if you say that you don't sin, you're lying. So he's saying you are going to sin. So walking in the light is not the absence of sin. Walking in the light is the confession of sin Mm -hmm. and the admit the admitting of sin. And so I think that is so different than our culture. You know, my kids, one of my kids specifically right now is struggling with lying and it's shame based, right? Like he's wanting to cover up mistakes he's making and choices he's making. And so we're talking to him about this, like, hey, we, we're okay with that mistake. What we're not okay with and what your soul isn't okay with is when you run into the dark with that sin. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. you can't enjoy Jesus and you're making him out to be a liar because you're telling us, I don't sin. Right. You're telling yourself you don't sin. You're telling God you don't sin. But the truth is he knows that and he wants you in the light, not so that you'll be perfect. He wants you in the light so that you can walk with him in it and you can walk with people in it and you can know grace because we get to tell you grace. When you make a mistake and bring it to us, we get to remind you what is true of you. Mm -hmm. But it's so true. We do hide so much of our weakness and our brokenness and God's saying, hey, come out with it. It's true. And it's funny because it seems like a paradox. It seems counterintuitive to human nature. Uh, because you said earlier, to, for me to admit that I get angry, it's not powerful. And as a guy, as a man, we want to be that way. I want to be powerful. I want to be the strong person. I want to be the bigger, the better person, that kind of a thing. And that's where the scripture comes out. When I am weak, then I am strong. In my weakness, in understanding my weakness, and understanding my humanness, I can be strong in Christ. And I know we get away with a lot of stuff on Rebel Parenting, and I was with a friend recently, and he was he's struggling in his marriage, and I know that he's having a hard time showing emotion, and a lot of guys have trouble showing emotion, and I finally just, I got exasperated with him, and, and I go, listen, man, when I started learning how to cry and show emotion in front of my kids and my wife, my sex life improved so immensely, and he was like, oh, you know, and he totally blew me off. And I said, I know. It sounds counterintuitive. It doesn't sound macho. It doesn't sound strong. I'm telling you, the results don't lie. The more I can show emotion, the less powerful I can be, the better my relationship gets. And it's a struggle, but I still think it's true. Well, and it's the gospel, because where does power come from for the believer? You know, I'm going to look at the next verse I didn't read in verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's this idea that we aren't supposed to be enough in ourselves that that is not preached enough. It's it's but it's the gospel. It's in every page of this book that that even the people that God platforms in the Bible, largely he's displaying his power, not theirs Um, in almost every person except for Christ. And even in Christ, he's continually submissive to show off the, the power of God, the father, even though he could have had that power in himself. I believe he chose to display the the dependence on on his father to show what it means to be in relationship and to show as humans how we engage God. But it's just, it's so, yeah, it is so different. But again, we're looking at a world that says, um, one, even to be religious and to follow God, 
you need to be perfect and have it all together. And so we've got to dispel those lies or we're authentic to the point of holiness, not even being on, on our lips and in our lives because we're just thinking, Oh, we're just confessing our sin, but we're leaving it there. And we're, we're not actually believing verse nine that says he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We, so we don't stop with admitting the weakness. We actually move to the power where the power actually comes from. Mm-hmm. Well, I love you talked a little bit about like the backpack and when you were saying throwing off the sin and getting going to Jesus. Like what is the backpack? Just first off, can you give us a definition of that? Well, I think anybody that's listening that feels heavy in any way, that thing, whatever <laughs> it is, which probably is everyone to some oh. degree. Um, you mean it, my monkey? <laughs> Yeah, the danger, <laughs> the albatross, yeah. the tire. I mean, well, and I think of Hebrews twelve because he says, "I like it how he he separates these two th- things, these burdens." He says, um, "The weight that so no, the sin that so easily entangles us, and the weight that we carry." Like he he actually differentiates between sin and weight, and so sometimes I think weight in the backpack can be um, circumstances that you know, diagnosis or your parents going through a divorce or maybe it's financial stress or pressure it can be um a kid rebelling and and you know that could be something that you're it's not sin it's just a heavy circumstance and then i also think then the other one would be sin and and i think both of those things can entangle us to the point of we aren't living in the freedom that god meant us to live in how do we throw off that backpack well it's interesting i'll go back to hebrews 12 again because what i like about hebrews 12 is He's giving kind of three steps to life. I mean, he kind of sums up like this is what it looks like to follow God. And he's talking about a race, you know, run the race um, that's set before you. So we're running. And then he says throwing off the the sin, the weight and the sin that so easily entangles. And then he's saying fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. So he's, he's really saying three things. You run, you throw off, and you fix your eyes. Well, I think for a long time I thought those were steps like you throw off and then you can run and then you can fix your eyes on Jesus. But the truth is, it's probably happening happening simultaneously, yeah. because I really believe that as we do mission and and quit waiting till we're qualified to do it, just do it, then we typically throw off the weight and fix our eyes because we're not self focused. We're not. We don't want to be encumbered. We want to serve the people God's put in our lives to serve and love, and then we need Jesus because we're on mission. So I think it's a simultaneous thing. Hopefully as we go. And so I think finding what your purpose is and, and, and living out that purpose that God's given you innately, which is the great commission to make disciples wherever you are. So of the children that you have, of the coworkers you go to work with, of the college students that um, you're around, if you're a college student, whatever it is that you do, like do it there. You have a purpose. Now, sometimes as we go in life, we can narrow in on exactly what our unique gifts are and how we can serve God's kingdom more deeply. But the truth is we are given purpose the minute we are saved, the minute we experience no Christ, we're filled with the Spirit and equipped for every good work. So we get to live that out, whether or not we've done a gift profile or understand exactly what our job description should be every day. And so I think owning that and and making that our life through local churches, with community, with a mentor, being on mission, I think it it starts to happen where our eyes are fixed, we're abiding and being with Christ. Um, and we're, we're we're living out the purposes he's called us to, to live out, and then that sin, I think, is falling off. Oh yeah, definitely. I 
love that you said a mentor too. I think having the counsel of someone that's been there before us. I was watching a show and it was all these young people striving out to this thing and my only caution was there wasn't any old people there. I'm like, you have, you have nobody that's been around long enough to see burnout when it's on its way or just that experience. And so getting a mentor that's been around that can calm you down, that can say, it's all right, let's just relax for a minute. Let's go back to the basics. I love that stuff. Oh, every single person needs that. We, especially when we're parenting or, or in these seasons of life where we can't get perspective without it. I mean, people have to tell us, hey, hey you're going to survive this. This, You're going to get through this. Yeah, I like what your mentor said. Yeah, yeah you aren't qualified. You aren't enough. My, my mentor always says, you know what, can you just grow up quietly? I'm like, okay, mm. I will. <laughs> I will grow up yeah. quietly. Thank you. Jenny, you've got a great quote in your book where you say, when we live trying to measure up on our own, one of two things happens. And it's either you strive or we numb out. And I'll get in trouble for this. It reminds me of the movie Bad Moms. I don't know if you've seen that or not. but I haven't. Oh, it, it was such a breath of fresh air. You've got this mom. And I see moms everywhere. The more I do rebel parenting, I see this where it's they're doing their kids' homework. And they're all the moms are judging the other moms about how their kids look and and what sports they're in and, and all this stuff and she gets to a breaking point and then it's the numbing out and I think so many moms and especially Christian moms in the church there's so much internal judgment going on in the striving that we do numb out we just kind of just check out you know I live in Colorado and the checkout is is a real thing here now and and it is in a lot of places how do we get out of that cycle how do we get out of how do we start being more present with our kids, with our families, and get out of the striving and the numbing? Well, I think we have to be unafraid to face the difficulty in our life. I think usually we numb out because we don't like something about ourselves or something about our life. And so we're escaping it. So we've got to be willing to face those things. And that takes work. Mm -hmm. Um, We are believers in counseling. We think that um, everybody needs a third party. Sometimes that can serve as an unpaid third party with a counselor or a mentor. Um, but sometimes it needs to be paid. And and I think we've got to face those things and realize that there is freedom for the things that we're facing. It may not be closure and perfection, right? Like we may, in fact, it won't be. Um, not everything, the gospel is not a promise that everything works out here. It's a promise that everything works out forever. So it's, it's changing our perspective. And that usually happens through um, difficulty and through counsel and through growth and that that unfortunately is work you know it's it's not just passively sitting by and numbing out that we change and grow and so I think we've got to be willing to lean into voices that say things that we don't like I mean my friends are rough on me they they will tell me when um when I'm off track or when I'm being selfish or when I need to shift something in my life I also have mentors and I also have um counselors that we see off and on as we need it in our marriage and, and in life. I just, I can't really imagine being a healthy person without that. Us too. Um, I think We're that right there with you. Totally, totally. We need that. And, and we also need to abide in Christ. And I think those voices need to be voices that point you back to the gospel and back to Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, every person I just named there is a believer and does that for me. Even my paid counselor is a believer and coming from a Christian worldview. And so I think the, the unpacking and the understanding of why we don't, want to be present in our lives is work, but it's worth it. And, and a season of that is better than a missed life. And to go into the difficulty, it could be from your childhood. It could be from, um, it could be the sadness of 
of, you know, I, we've, we've adopted a child and it's hard, you know? And so a lot of my numbing out was just, oh, life is so hard. I can't deal with it. There's no way to totally fix all this. And it wasn't just him. It was just a million hard things that piled up. And so I had to reframe the way that I was going to deal with difficulty. And I had to reframe the way I was going to see myself in that. And, and that just, again, it just takes time and work. Yeah. Yeah. Can I be honest? I understand the long-term numbing out totally. And I've been there where I just, I feel overwhelmed by everything, overwhelmed by life in general, where it's like, nope, not doing anything today. And in my life, there are times where I'm like, you know what? The kids are asleep. Laura's asleep. I'm going to watch a full season of whatever it is on Netflix right (laughs) now. Cause I just can't think any more about anything. My dad was asking me if I'd seen uh, it was a documentary of something, and I said, you know, by the time I watch TV at night, I try to play the dumbest thing possible so yep. I don't have to think yep. about anything. Mm-hmm. So I think. Well, every- and I certainly yeah. don't think anything we're talking about here is evil. I don't think most of the things that we go to yeah. in life to numb out are evil. I just think we lose moderation when we're going to them to totally. to mm-hmm. kill something or to remove us from difficulty. And so what you can find yourself doing, the more pressure that comes, the more difficult and heavy life gets as you continue to withdraw. I mean, it's just, and you know, I think we've got to be careful not to over demonize certain addictions over others, right? Like we certainly some have worse consequences, but I'm I'm telling you the people I know in prison or rehab that that are aware of their issues are actually probably in a healthier place to some degree than a lot of us that don't recognize what how addicted we are to things and how broken we really are. So I, I, I see, you know, there's, there's, we're, we're slow to call harmless things addictions. They're not harmless. They're actually taking our thought life and stealing everything. So again, it's not that they're wrong. And certainly, I mean, I still, I have not canceled my Netflix membership yet, <laughs> but I have seen a, as I've dealt with my the difficult things in my life as I've leaned into that and processed and gotten a lot more freedom and joy and less pressure to perform um, and to start enjoying God and enjoying my life rather than trying to measure up and perform in it. As I've gotten more freedom, I haven't wanted to go to those things as much. I I feel more energy. I feel more connected Mm -hmm. to my people. I want to go out and see my friends rather than kind of withdraw and hide. Mm Um, before we go, I just wanted to ask a little bit, because I have friends and, and we have some family members that um, have struggled with this and have it. Um, you talk a little bit about attention deficit disorder and you having ADD. Um, can you just share a tiny bit before we go about that? Because I really think our listeners would just find value in, in the way you have worked with it. Well, and I would say a lot of people probably think, oh gosh, I have ADD too. And <laughs> And, and that's, I mean, we live in an ADD culture that, yeah. that has trained a lot of our brains to move really fast and move on to the next thing and look for sound bites. And, and I think, so everybody probably relates to that feeling a little bit, but, but when you're really diagnosed with it, it's literally a full on war to pay attention to mm-hmm. things. I mean, you have to, yeah. I mean, I'm fighting, you know, half of my brain is fighting to stay focused, to write or to read or to speak or to say what I need to say while the other half is composing. And it's, it's, it's difficult, but I also feel like there are so many gifts from it. And I've never talked about it publicly before. And I, I don't know, I, I guess it just, I didn't want it to be a distraction. And I didn't know, I don't love that about myself. You know, I wish that weren't one of the weaknesses I have. And, and yet it, 
explains so much in my life, you know, once I knew I had it. Totally. And and I also think it's part of the beauty of the way my brain works. And mm. and I've learned to, that I probably wouldn't be nearly as creative. I probably wouldn't be able to do all of these different jobs and move in and out of them mm. as quickly as I do and shift gears. So I do think that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and I've learned that, again, this is one of those weaknesses that I think God moves mightily in. And and I've, you know, I've I've been reluctant to to announce that, but yeah. but I think in even announcing it, it's it's continuing to say, hey, this is this isn't easy for me to write this book. Like this doesn't come naturally for me. Like me sitting down and focusing for this long is an all-out fight war to get it into existence. And you can do something too, even whether that's you know dyslexia or whatever you struggle with. Uh, these are these are things that we can decide to not let define us and and do the thing that feels impossible to do. What a breath of fresh air. Jenny, it's so great having you on. We appreciate you being here so much. Well, thanks for having me. Awesome. Hey Rebels, that's our program for today. Hope you enjoyed that. My goodness, what a great book. We've been going through that, Laura and I, nothing to prove. My goodness, it's got so much wisdom in there. We really did appreciate Jenny Allen being so open, honest, and vulnerable with all of our great listeners out there. We love you guys. Catch me every Monday and Friday on Facebook Live, facebook.com slash Dobson for Rebel Live. Also, sign up for the newsletter and the text alerts by texting the word REBEL to 444-999. All your donations to Rebel Parenting keep us open and on the air, and they are tax deductible. Go to rebelparenting.org, click on the donate button, and you can help us out. God bless. We'll see you next week.